My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back. Today on the show, I'm joined by Annika Henderson, who records under the name Annika. Known for her collaborations with Shackleton, Jeff Barrow of Portishead, and the Mexico City-based avant rock band Exploded View, her first solo outing was 2010's self-titled LP Annika, which featured deconstructed and intriguing covers of songs by Bob Dylan, Yoko Ono, The Kinks, and more. Her new record is called Change. It blends electronic textures and live drums and bass, with her voice hovering over it all, delivering lyrics that are sometimes quixotic but often inspiring, putting it in line with prime material by groups like Broadcast and Stereolab. We interacted earlier this year. She contributed some thoughts to a piece I wrote about Thought Forms, a book from the Theosophical Society that her label Sacred Bones republished. And I knew after that back and forth that we needed to have her stop by transmissions for a full conversation about her days as a journalist and her musical worldview. So here's that conversation. But before that, a brief word from our sponsors. Do you dread looking at your credit card statements? If so, you're not alone. So many Americans experienced financial hardship in the last year. But Upstart can help you get back on track. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online. Upstart knows you're more than just a credit score. They consider your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash aquarium drunkard. That's upstart.com slash aquarium drunkard. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash aquarium drunkard. Annika, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions. It's a real honor to have you here. Yeah, and no, I thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. It's so so you're in you're in Ber- Berlin, right? Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, I'm in uh, I'm in Brand- Brandenburg, which is about uh, an hour and a half out. So um, so yeah, I moved here before Corona, like two years ago or something. But I'm trying to move. Ah, I'm okay. trying to move back to Berlin. It's it's not far, and I, I go every week anyway to do stuff. So yeah. Sure, sure. Well, congrats on this great new album. Change is uh, really fascinating, and I've really been enjoying uh, listening to it. It's been, it's been like eleven years since your last solo album. Is that right? Um. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, there, there was the EP in between, and um, yeah, so it's been a while. Uh, you know, it took my time. You were obviously very, very busy with other projects, and you worked with Exploded View and, and other things. But what signaled for you that it was time to, you know, return to making music under under your own name? Um, I was just waiting till I really had something to say, you know, and um. It took a long time. Like even with the exploded view stuff, um, I had something to say there, and and with all the collaborations for sure. But it was in a different way, you know. And um, uh, and also, I felt like I I needed to learn a lot of stuff. So I did a lot of collaborations with people I really admire, and uh, in sort of environments where I could learn something from from each person I collaborated with. So that was that was great. It was like having lots of private teachers and 
hopefully I gave them something too. Um, you know, normally they 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 learn how to deal with a with a <laughs> it's like wild uh, wild cannon sometimes. You know, but some of them it's a bit was a little bit stressful maybe. But um, no, but it was a yeah. So so that's what I did in between. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really like the title track, Change. And, uh, you know, so much of the music that, uh, for better or, well, a lot of the music that's, let's say, coming out of the pandemic, the pandemic, which is not really over, but in some ways the first wave of it feels, or not the first wave, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of sort of over, but mostly not over, but still sort of over, however we want to define the weird well, we're liminal pretending, thing. We're we're, I think for everyone's mental health, everyone's pretending it's over. Um, and I think we kind of yeah. need to believe it for a little bit just so that we, you know, everyone gets a little bit sane again. And then yeah. you know, we see, and I think everyone's got so used to living... Um, living with it and and uh you know we just see i mean it's like with booking tours i'm booking tours i'm putting together a band and i have no idea whether it's going to happen or how hard it's going to be to get across borders and it's a very strange uh, time to be organizing stuff yeah no kidding no kidding but so much of the music that's come out of the 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 last year and a half uh has been um you know pretty fraught and and kind of bleak at least some of it you know but what i really appreciate about change is how it, it's it doesn't it it doesn't uh those descriptions don't don't really apply especially to that song i find change to be a very hopeful song and the notion that we can change not just on individual levels but maybe even on societal levels you know to me that's such an interesting and uh, striking point to make, especially right now, where you you know it's not easy. It's it's not difficult to to feel weighed down or bogged down by the intensity of the last mm. you know year and year and a half. I wonder what was it about that song that sort of indicated to you that this is the the title track for this project. Um, yeah, because I think the whole, all the songs were about this, you know, it was about this transformation year in, in so many ways. It wasn't just Corona. It was, there were just so many themes going on, you know, every, uh, everyone had their own battle. Uh, and it was, you know, we saw things like, um, Brexit happening and, and the Me Too movement, um, Black Lives Matter and the, the environmental movements, you know, there was so much going on where suddenly, it was like, oh shit, you know, this this just you know, what what do we do? Or why is this all happening? Or why is it all coming out now? And and it felt like, yeah, it is a change time and and change can be good, you know. And I think when these things happen, um, it's important not to be sort of beaten down by the fear narratives and to actually see that these are opportunities to actually improve things you know, and change for the better and that actually we are the writers of the future. We're not just passive consumers, you know, that that's it's so it's such an important time to be, um, yeah, writing, writing what we want to come next and what we want to feel these spaces that are happening, you know, because Corona uh, did kill off a lot of things. I mean, sorry, that's a really bad taste of, of of language to use because sadly it was killed off people which you know yeah, was, was an extremely sad time you know and the, and that shows how our healthcare systems and and um you know how much the wealth gap has just increased in this in this time and it's insane you know that it was to show who has access to health care and, and services like that and who doesn't you know and who can carry on living a life and who was you know, the majority of people, it was a life-changing event. And for a, a small minority, it seemed like nothing really changed, which is... Um, right, right. You know, which is, yeah, which is a reality check, I think, for everyone. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, I don't want to paint the album as if it's just this sort of, like, hopeful anthem or whatever, because there are things where you're you're playing around with maybe a little bit of what you're talking about i think about finger pies and how you know the lyric is you're only interested in one thing and i think that there's something i mean the 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 language is is ambiguous enough that it can mean a lot of things and i love that but 
but it, I feel like this album is grappling, obviously, with the the complexity of the way the world has looked. Um, but I was surprised to read that you a lot of these lyrics were written more or less on the spot. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's how I often write anyway. I, I, I have. Um, I mean, it's not. It doesn't come from nowhere. You know, I was writing diaries every day. When sure. I know I want to write, I, I you know, I, I get into then writing habits. So I write every day like a diary just to get um, you get into the practice, you know, and then and then I just went to the studio with the box of box of papers. And I remember the, the studio uh, guy was like, where are your instruments? And I was just like turned up with a box of uh, scrunched up paper and was like, no, this is all I need. <laughs> so, you know, it was, um, it's, yeah, that, so that's, that, and then you just dive in there and just reappropriate things. You know, it's, it, it kind of gives you something to bounce against. It's like bouncing against the past version of yourself. And the, that's um, because when you're writing solo, it, that's, that's one thing that I find difficult. You know, you often, I feel like I have to write one part of the song or one mood and then I go back to it with a different mood and and you have to play like the different roles in the band, you know, like um, and kind of bounce against yourself. So with lyrics, it's really useful to do it like that because you, you kind of, you have, yeah, like your past self and now you're coming with your present self and you're like, okay, we're going to have, we're going to have a conversation now. So yeah, that's such an, that's an interesting way to approach things. I mean, is is it a thing where it is it is it sort of stressful in the moment to compose, even if you're you're using sort of um, elements of of things you've previously written? You know, do you find it sort of stressful, or is it more of a situation where it is galvanizing or energizing? to um, be in a position yeah I, well with lyrics uh, they really come well, I usually I have to it's all about setting up the right environment and then and then I like switch off like I'm not even writing you know it's really weird situation I mean this is why I was mm. looking a lot into um things like David Leary and the the you know how how a lot of these scientists were using drugs to get to certain places and I think that music can sometimes get you to certain states of consciousness that, uh, um, that uh, you know, they often, that a lot of uh, drugs can too. And, and I feel like when I'm writing lyrics, this is often the way, you know, I've, I've had very strange uh, experiences where um, in Exploded View where I ended up writing the lyrics about, um, you know, just people in the room or issues I had just but un unconsciously, you know, and, it's like a there's a line uh, in and and it just just comes I, I don't know it's just a weird weird thing it's probably the German passive aggressiveness that's been stored up and it just suddenly unlocks it and and it just comes flowing <laughs> out but I'm completely blank like like my head is not there you know but and, and the words are just coming because there's a there was a song um I can't remember which one it is. I think it's Killjoy. And it was, uh, actually, it's about Martin from Exploded View, who I love dearly. And he helped me write this album. And at the time, we didn't get on so well. And it, it was really pissing me off, actually. And this song is, because uh, <laughs> I wrote an ad for Astronaut and all I got was a man of zero thought. Um, why do you insist on, I can't even remember the the words now, but it was a little dig at Martin yeah. because he, he kept disrupting my mind and kept like with his guitar playing, kept um, uh, what, uh, toppling me out of this unconscious state that I, I wanted to be in, you know? So he, he would often play kind of um, high-end uh, guitar riffs that were really attention-seeking. And I'd be like, stop it, you're disrupting my my meditative state. And so, um, which sounds kind of weird, but anyway, so, uh, so this song, it wasn't like I said. It, I, I didn't consciously dig at him. It was only after that I was like, "Oh, okay, that's what, that's what was going on there." Then you know. Yeah. Do you often find yourself somewhat surprised by looking back at what you have written or sung and and think to yourself like, "Wow, I, that's not." something I even was necessarily aware that was maybe in, in my head. Yeah, definitely. That's what I've, um, I mean, that's how it started. Uh, when I was first writing songs, I did it for myself and it was a way to, 
let things out and I often I you know I'm full of these emotions and I don't really understand them and 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 then writing music is a way to you know often I'd look down at the words and I'd be like oh that's what I was annoyed about I didn't realize it's very strange did did Mark Hmm? did martin ever pick up on the the lyrics or is he going to be listening to this no podcast he knows he out? knows he knows it's uh <laughs> and and i also wrote a, a song called beige and it was swedish beige and it was like <laughs> well, it was all in jest it was never like anything mean you know but um and he knows and and we're really good friends so you know it's fine we've uh yeah you you two work together on on change as well right uh yeah on the album yeah he um luckily it worked out actually because I, I was writing on my own you know it being locked down and everything and it was a bit of a weird situation and originally I, I was hoping to go to Bristol to record there because I'd written the songs and I was like oh I could just go there and then with corona it was impossible and so I was sort of and and also you know I'd written these songs but um, I didn't really get them and a lot of other people didn't really get them so and I know, you know, I've worked with Martin so long that he he kind of gets me where I'm at. So I sent them to him and was like, what do you reckon? You know, I feel like these are, you know, these are the ideas I want to do. And um, somehow it was clear. I don't know why. It was a very strange thing. Anyway, was he, and he said, oh, yeah, sounds good. You know, I'd be up for, because um, I, I wanted him to play live drums and to co-produce. And uh, he was up for it. So, and and somehow made it to Europe. So that was good. From Mexico City, uh, while the pandemic was happening. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he um he was originally meant to come in May when I, I did the initial recording session, but he couldn't. It was impossible to travel. And then he managed to mm -hmm. um, he was recording an album with a friend of his in Sweden in in August or something, and um uh, and visiting his parents. So somehow he managed to get over, and he was there for a month. And then I said, oh, you know, because you are you still up for helping me with this album, you know? And he said, yeah, okay. So I found a studio by a lucky recommendation from a friend, and um, and we just booked it. And we're like, right, let's do this. And he spent a week here, and we were just chopping up the songs and replacing some of my bad, bad sounds and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it. It it turned out so it turned out so great. It's so rhythmically propulsive, and your vocals are so haunting and work against those rhythms in such cool ways. Um, it's a really it's a really killer album. Cool, yeah. You so so as I I understand you you grew up. Your brother was super into hip hop and drum and bass, and yeah. and your sister was into jungle and and house music. Obviously, there's such a rhythmic core to this album. It's neither, it's not any of those genres, you know, but it uh, certainly rhythm is a big part of everything that you've you've done. Growing up, you know, what was it like hearing that stuff coming out of their bedrooms? Uh, and, and do you remember, is that some of your first sort of um, memories of music? Yeah, definitely. Um, that was, uh, it, you know, I grew up just outside of London. So um, there was so much music going on and having like an older brother and sister, you know, I used to go and steal her rave t-shirts while she was out and try on her platforms and stuff. And it was like, uh, you know, there was, there was always something with my brothers, uh, all his little grime mates would come over and start emceeing and because he had decks and a DJ set up in his, in his room. I remember he, 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 uh, he saved up a long time to buy those with like a paper round or something. I actually still have yeah. those decks. That was a pretty, pretty cool. He he lent them to me. But um, but uh yeah, no, so there was a lot of music, you know, and, and growing up near to London, there there was there was a good um source, you know, there there was uh, also a good vinyl store in where I grew up in a place called Woking and uh, they had a lot of white labels, um, so sort of, you know, before stuff was released. And uh, I don't know if that's still a thing, like white labels, you know, it's when you don't even, you know, they, they sort of hand make them and and stuff. But anyway, so yeah, yeah there, there was just like a lot of, uh, a, just so much music, yeah. And and so it's easier being the younger one because you, you just sort of, you, you have to be quicker at growing up because everyone expects you to already be grown up because everyone else is grown up. So it's like, so you speed you speed learn by watching everyone else. 
so that was that that's um music wise that was great you know because compared to my friends yeah. who were all listening to like the witch or something i was ready on i don't know speed garage and and um whatever jungle <laughs> so yeah yeah was, uh, how much yeah how much older how much older are your siblings th- than you um uh, my sister's eight years older than me and my brother's um two years older than me so yeah 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 so with eight years i mean that's that's a that's a substantial difference so she, yeah. yeah she must have seemed so 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 grown up and uh yeah. yeah. So did you find your so did you find yourself interested in electronic music pretty pretty you know obviously you heard all this stuff and then yeah. sort of made your way into it. How did you start to get involved in music yourself? Um, well th- that was the thing I remember uh, it was around the time when a lot of these programs were coming around you know like Cubase and um even you had these really basic versions like fruity loops and stuff and i remember my brother remember yeah loops, my yeah. brother got all these things so i i remember making stuff on fruity loops and he he started making beats and i was trying stuff um and there was like this dance ej and like all these sort of weird free or i don't know if they were free but he somehow got them on floppy disk or something i don't know anyway but um uh yeah so there was that and then so but i used to always do it in secret because i i was way too shy and anyway you know i was the young one so i wasn't the one doing it, it was like my brother's thing or my sister's thing you know what i mean so um sure so uh yeah so i don't know so i just used to borrow his guitar when he was out and 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 write songs and that's how i started writing but i always did it in private and secret and not really because i was too shy so then it happened totally how- by accident I, I don't even remember well so yeah because that's that thing that that shyness is obviously something that i've read in a lot of interviews from you you talk about how very often you don't even intend necessarily to release the music that sometimes has been, you know, released. Um, there's always been sort of a private personal side of it for you. Um, I don't know. No, it's more, I think uh, it wasn't so much that the music was private, but I, I think the music was somehow a necessity or a, it was an experiment thing, you know, whereas it's, mm. uh, I, I like the investigation of trying to figure stuff out and, and like I say, you know, I I grew up and from a young age, I got used to learning from people stuff, you know, and um, and I saw how how cool it is actually to listen and, and observe others and learn from them. You know, like, I think a lot of people, they don't like that situation because they find it passive or not like they haven't got the power in the room, you know, but actually it's a you can learn so much just from observing and seeing what's going on. So it's like, and that's what I love with the, with the music stuff, because I was often thrown in these situations. I mean, I I did, you know, I also made them myself. I I was a journalist um, writing at university and then I started putting on shows and I started managing bands and I set up a little DIY label and uh, just because I loved music, you know, and everyone was just like, and it was a pain in pain in the backside, you know, it was like hard work and I didn't sleep. I had insomnia for like, I don't know how long. And then um, it was a total wreck. So I quit, but, um, but uh, I don't know. So these situations came from just working in what I love and, and meeting people and just keep learning and figuring stuff out. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think it's also one of the things of, Maybe it's about being a female in the music industry or a female in the world. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a personal thing. But I always felt like I didn't know enough, you know, to do stuff uh, or to have the right to do stuff, which is actually sure. rubbish because most people do it when they don't know anything about it. But I, I didn't really find I didn't figure that out until later. You know, often people. Right. Would, that- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that everybody's faking it. Nobody has any idea what they're doing. Exactly. most of the time yeah and it's such a it's such a con you know like there's so many times that people are like yeah yeah you know and i, I remember this from my um there was a situation even things like because i taught myself to do a lot of things you know like graphic design and and i was doing it at the venues and started redesigning their stuff and 
And I, the chef wanted to go off and set up his own restaurant. And he was like asking me to do the logo. So I did it. But, you know, I'd never studied graphic design. So I was like, oh, I'm not really sure, you know. <laughs> and I did it. And then I said, oh, OK, yeah, I suppose you better finish it because I don't think I'm, you know, it's it, I don't think mine is good enough. And so he never paid me. He took my logo and used it for his whole franchise. And I remember my friend who, who saw she she remembers when I was sat there like designing it on our uh, in our lounge or whatever. And she was like, yeah, I, that restaurant is in, in is there everywhere now. And you, I can't believe you never got paid. But it was because I, I just I, I handed it over just being like, oh, you know, I I'm, I don't really know. And um, I don't think it's good enough or maybe it's not really done properly, you know. And it's this annoying thing of just being maybe it's about being female or just being you know growing up in that environment where I didn't go to private school and I wasn't I haven't learned how to just be totally self-assured you know but in a way but in a way that's been interesting because now I've spent like the last 12 years exploring the world and learning from a lot of people and it's pretty cool and I'm definitely not done yet you know so no of course yeah (laughs) yeah do you find, I mean, that the thing you've mentioned of, of, about being a woman, uh, yeah. there's um, the, the the video you did for, for rights oh, yeah. is really incredible uh, with with your co-director, Sabrina, I think Labis is how yeah, yeah, you yeah. maybe yeah. say it. Yeah. But you but you talk, I mean, the the it comes sort of with this like an an artist statement of intent and, and you talk about you have rights and, and, and how often as a woman you feel like that is glossed over or or unacknowledged and and when i hear you talking about this this thing this sort of this feeling of like well maybe i don't know enough i just think about how you know um the act of making things and creating things there's so much intuition involved in it um you know and and i and i wonder if just has the process of making things helped you over time just feel like uh, able to let go of some of that that shyness or that res- reserve? You know, uh, do you do you feel more confident as as you've continued creating things in various shapes and in various forms? Um, yeah, no, I don't know. In in a way, you know, but then. Um yeah someone once told me something about you know when you're a musician you have to learn to swim because you have to start you learn to swim around the framework you know that exists in society right and i think this is quite accurate because in in the real world um i'm still at square one you know not the real world but in in the in the constructed worlds i'm uh, still at square one in the real world i'm at like a million you know but in the in the in the constructed world uh i'm um i'm like 0.1 on the on the scale you know i don't own my own house yeah. i don't have uh, many things that other people have so um uh but yeah, that's um, that's the thing, you know. So it's a, I think you have to get used to that. And and like I say, yeah, you have to learn to be a fish. Luckily, I'm Aquarius, so that's okay. I can deal with that. Uh, but sometimes, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes it's um, it is difficult, you know. When when again, uh, someone says, "Oh, don't worry, it's not too late for you to get a real job," kind of thing. I'm like, all right, thanks. It's not too late for you either, you know. <laughs> when you're gonna quit yeah. being a lawyer you know uh but um yeah it's uh it's difficult well i want to i want to talk to you about journalism a little bit but but before that i i really would like to so we we spoke uh about or we emailed about a uh a great book that your label sacred bones reissued called thought forms which is this theosophical uh sort of manual uh that's about seeing the the color and shape of thoughts and so when you're talking about the the difference between sort of the manufactured world versus the you know what the real world in quotes which is sort of the manufactured world and then these deeper more expansive concepts of existence that you believe music allows you to get to i mean i wonder if you could could 
it doesn't sound like you're afraid to engage in uh i guess people would call it like you know woo thinking or or anything like that uh, and neither am i but i'm i'm curious about what it is that you're talking about there when you when you use these sort of terms to define uh the existence that everybody sort of accepts as the standard operating procedure versus maybe these more um these other sort of frameworks that that music allow you allows you to access personally gosh that was a that was a, that was a <laughs> mouthful and it, i didn't yeah, really no, i didn't really <laughs> yeah no it's 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 um yeah it's a, it's a it's a complex topic but yeah i mean just to firstly point out you know i do appreciate the the luxury of my job you know and and one thing um yeah that it's clear uh everyone in society plays their part you know if um, and and I'm lucky to have my job. You know, it's not it's not the easiest job, and and I think a lot of people couldn't handle it. You know, because of the uncertainty and stress and whatever. But um, but just you know, just to point out that I'm not uh, discrediting other people's jobs because everyone plays a role, and I and I I use that system. You know, I ha I have electricity that comes through my um, wires, and and I eat food that is you know I, I i exist within this world um yeah you know but i'm lucky enough to be someone that somehow manages to to you know be a scientist as well or an explorer slash scientist musician type person um and 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 figuring stuff out you know maybe testing the limits of humanity i mean that's what that's what um that's why we're obsessed with space and and beyond and robots now because robots are beyond our limits they're now going into the beyond 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 you know so and yeah. and as a musician I, I like to still test the limits of humans and of our and also not just that but then also use music as a way to bring people together because sometimes in these quests for going further and further away from everyone else or competing with everyone else, um, um, it can get a little bit isolated or aggressive, you know, nations and different cultures. So I think music is a nice thing to bring everyone together. Um, right. You know, facilitate right. understanding and things. Yeah. So you worked as a, as a journalist, uh, a political journalist. That was, was that your beat? yeah but only for a bit i mean i i I, uh, I went into music pretty soon so i i want i mean that was what i kind of wanted to do and i was working in berlin as a um as a political journalist um but only temporarily because then i decided to to go into music but that was what i wanted to work in i wanted to work in policy development actually um uh and then and then I decided to do music. Um, yeah. Did you did did you like did you like journalism? Uh, well, I wanted to make a difference. You know, I wanted to make a change, and I wanted to write about people. And I, I always found documentaries really interesting because you can, again, it's this observing other people and facilitating understanding thing. Um, you know, I love to make documentaries about groups that people often saw as this weird monolithic alien and 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 make them more human you know as as a way to actually say look these people that you feel like you can't relate to actually they're not that different from you and i i think you know this is important because one of um even with things like in the army or killing people you know often one of the tactics to 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 make humans or you know to to help kill someone else is by dehumanizing your your enemy you know and yeah and, you have you have to right you have to do that in order to to not yeah it's, yeah it's hate, often, the, hate yeah, the process yeah and it's done through like playing computer games and stuff like that and it's ways to you have to dehumanize you know and this is often throughout history ways to ways to justify doing really just horrible things, whether it was in World War II and dehumanizing um, a whole uh, population or, or culture, religion, and and how that, by doing that, it 
it enables people to do to go beyond their morals because they no longer see that as a person um and and right. and i think that's something that um is so important in you know that that was always one thing that i thought documentaries were really good at as a as a vehicle to 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 actually show that people are people you know and i feel like i have the same uh, possibility in in music so that was pretty pretty cool really yeah do you 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 talked about how you feel like as an artist a lot of what you've done is hang out with people and observe and and listen and learn you know from them do you feel like all of that ties back to some of the skills that you did learn as a journalist um yeah for sure uh yeah definitely i mean um it makes you it definitely meant i was quicker to to uh get the information i needed to i mean the thing is when you're making music you're also on the chopping block you know it's not like you're just observing taking <laughs> right. notes. You're, it's like especially if you don't know what you're doing or you think you don't and you're like drowning in the situation then um you know you most of the time is spent just trying to um, of a, or a, a panic attack and 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 it's not like it, it you know I was in boiling water for the first eight years I think of this career it was just <laughs> finally I managed like this little lobster crawled out the pot finally after <laughs> eight years but um, yeah it was it was definitely um you know the journalists that embed themselves in the in the full thing but no but it's um yeah it's, it's I don't know it has similarities but then it's a whole different thing you know it's a um yeah i don't know yeah when we talked about about thought forms you talked pretty eloquently about about fake news and about the way we sometimes are willing to convince ourselves of 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 things or to build cases around you know it's this thing that that I don't know how familiar you are with with QAnon here in the United States. It's this thing where people can build a very convincing, internally convincing um, framework for themselves. And now it obviously doesn't stand up to much outside uh, pressure, you know, because so much of it is 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 obvious nonsense. But I've found myself maybe a little bit I found I found myself personally examining the idea that even though QAnon is is sure this this thing of complete you know goofy you know uh <laughs> paranoid delusional type stuff the way they build their argument is really not that different than the way anybody builds an argument you know um or convinces themselves of something and I really do feel like people have decided that they're as we're all able to make our own worlds and as we are disconnected from each other, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of reality tunnels people build. And I think that there's some uh, usefulness in recognizing that like the way a QAnon person builds their, their framework is not all that different than the way anybody who wants to build a framework with a pre-established goal in mind goes about doing it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I and I and I feel yeah I feel like there's such a there's we're in this we're in this weird thing where the kind of connection that you're talking about music potentially having the ability to connect us mm. we're gonna need a lot of tools that allow for that kind of connection because we see that the more we are off in our own kind of like singular spaces we see what kind of things can develop you know both good and bad mm. definitely yeah. Yeah, no, it's um completely um somehow I don't know why I want to mention it, but I remember you know one of the films that I found really fascinating when I was growing up. There, there were two. There was this one called I think like Time Machine or something, and this uh, that was a little bit similar to then Planet of the Apes, you know, like the original one with Charles and Heston or whoever it was in it. Oh yeah, classic. And uh, and it was just like this concept, like as a kid, just being like, yeah, that's that's true. Maybe there is a parallel universe where apes are actually in charge. 
but it's this thing of uh, you know we believe what we believe because we it's always been that way you know but it could all be rubbish and that's the power of yeah. uh, power of information and and um you know again this is a it was a very powerful tool in nazi germany where it was a way of controlling people and information is an extremely powerful tool you know and and um it's also a powerful distraction tool which is i think a lot of the conspiracy theory stuff that's been going on um you know i think one of the most dangerous things about it is that it can really divert attention from stuff that is really going on you know um and it, sure sure it's kind of like throwing little bird seeds out and all the birds are flocking around that and then in the meantime they're burning down the birdhouse you know what i mean it's just it it, it feels like yeah I, it's actually quite strong here in germany too um with the QAnon um people and um or quick fair dink in this school here and 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 there's a lot of i know a lot of friends whose parents are actually now in this group and a lot of the hippie generation funnily enough because especially in germany where they were really taught to question everything don't believe anything because they were the children of like you know the nazi generation so they right. grew up saying no i don't believe anything the government says you know, and a lot of them are anti-vaxxers. And it's because they've been brought up in this way where they don't trust the government and with anything, you know. And suddenly it's like you have this weird situation where you have the hippies, are, you know, inadvertently aligning themselves with the far right. And it's like, how did this happen? You know, and and, uh, yeah. and it's extremely yeah. and it's uh, extremely dangerous because, you um, at the moment, I think it's a time when, if anything, uh, people have to unite against the far right movements that are happening. Sadly, the far right um, are a lot cleverer when it comes to uh, getting together. You know, they're like, oh, I don't care who you hate. As long as you hate someone, let's get together kind of thing. And, it's, <laughs> and that's, yeah, sadly, the, the, um, on the other side it can get a bit more complicated and then it becomes more like oh no but you know i only like a, a certain shade of blue or something and you know or whatever it, it just it, you end up fighting about these little details and and you get this the left fighting the left and and um this gets a little bit complicated you know and it can it can yeah and, it, and sometimes these little fires are actually started by the opposition you know again it's a distraction technique it's like oh we can just plant a few little little things over there and uh, that'll keep them distracted um sure so, sure yeah but it's i mean you know i definitely i agree that you should always question things you know you, you um i think it's really important to do that especially when things are um seen as um you know everyone says oh but that's just the way it is you know that that's something that should you know things need to be questioned um i think right. in terms right in, you know in terms of the um when people were saying that corona was made up and and you know doctors were tweeting saying if you really believe that just come visit me at work and see that we are all um haven't slept in a year because we've been working 24 7 you know like trying to save people's lives i think you know this is there there are lines you know and there's there's this thing where yeah um uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really. No. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I completely. Yeah. I completely know. I I, I agree. And, and you're right. Like you know, there's there's what we're facing right now globally with something like climate change. You know, mm. it is 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 really a a threat that uh, you know, should be uh faced by everybody mm. because everybody is involved. And yet, you know, clearly we know that that's that's people will go to great great lengths to build uh you know frameworks to sometimes avoid seeing things you know and like you said in terms of distraction that all is 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 wrapped up in in it but mm. yeah the question of you know of, of challenge challenging the established narratives there's obviously a part of us that i mean i remember in the early days of coronavirus the early days of the pandemic I had this immense optimism that things were going to change 
dramatically, you know, um, that faced with something so indiscriminately opposed to human life, we were all going to band together and we were going to look at things differently. And at least I'm talking here in America, lots of things happened, but that didn't happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, there was a lot of, I mean, there was just some, uh, uh, certain things that did happen that were just outrageous. You know, the fact is, okay, everyone started buying even more on Amazon, and then it showed how how Amazon pretty much avoids tax in every country that it operates in. It's just it's right. insane, you know, that that these things happen, and that um, how how did we get here? In the words of uh, Talking Heads, um, yeah, but. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you brought the talking heads up because we we probably could talk a little bit more about music too, yeah, as opposed yeah. to QAnon. But <laughs> yeah. I was gonna I, I was gonna ask you your 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 first your record from 2010 is is such a great album. Um, and I was thinking about how, I mean, there you know you've got these great covers on mm. on that one. Um, songs by Yoko Ono and Bob Dylan and the Kinks. Um. You've also, I, I was like digging around and just looking for interesting stuff. And you covered 99 Red Balloons with right. the uh, Inveda All Stars, which is, I've <laughs> always loved that song. And your version of it is so cool and so, uh, so heady. I love it. It's a really good, a really good version. Yeah. I, I wonder if, if, if the difference, for, what's the difference for you in terms of interpreting others' lyrics as opposed to, to sort of writing your own? Is there um, is 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 that an interesting thing to do to sort of like step into somebody else's words versus writing your own? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, because it's in the end, um, you know, it's just like wearing clothes, isn't it? And you you appropriate them for your own. You put your own meaning behind them, and um, and and that can be nice. I mean, in the same way, like I said, that now often when I write, I, I usually interact with my past self and 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 that's what you're doing when you're using someone else's lyrics you're kind of like you know you're going back to something and and and, and re reappropriating it for your your needs yeah. you know because I, I think to be, to do both at the same time can work but it's a different um it's a different thing somehow yeah so no it's definitely interesting and with, with the 99 red balloons that that was a very last minute we, we did it in in i don't know like half a day or something it was for a um anti-trident uh song because at the time a trident was a, a missile that the english government were spending all their money on um and uh there was a campaign against it so we we did this song um and uh all the money went to this anti-trident campaign. So that was that was the the thing behind that one. I mean, I probably wouldn't have covered it otherwise. It's um but for that, I was like, okay, we can do it. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I let it go. But, but it was yeah. yeah. Um yeah, but it's definitely I uh you know, I love that about um people like Billie Holiday when she covers certain songs that a lot of the other artists at the same time were singing. And it's like she sings them so differently, you know, even just by emphasizing certain words. And uh, it's like, mm, OK, you know, it's uh, you You can totally make it something different. Um, depends what you want to say, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. When you when you know, and then there's stuff like the the Masters of War cover on that. There's there's a dub version, and it's like to hear just the sort of snippets of the lyrics recontextualized and sort of echoing around in that sort of more classic dub fashion. To me, there's something really interesting about that as well because it almost feels like it's like half heard or overheard. You know, there's some mm -hmm. distance between the lyrics as filtered through all these effects but in a weird way that makes me that much more interested in what you're saying you know um and i think about how that use of of distance and uh effect plays into to what you do um yeah well definitely with the first yeah with the first album it was so much uh, reverb and and everything else going on uh 
Um, yeah. There's some of that is sort of stripped back on this new one. Did you want to have a little bit more of a direct approach? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think because the lyrics are my lyrics and I, I like I said, I have something to say and um, it was important to yeah. this time, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, it's just different, you know, it depends what you're doing, but um, I do. So, that, yeah. I love a bit of space echo, obviously. You know. So how did you? I, I'm I'm curious how you met Jeff Darrow, who you worked with on the first one, and 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 when you when you met him, did you didn't know he was a member of of Portishead? Is that right? Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, um, yeah, no, it was a, it was weird with that whole whole thing. It was very strange. I, I feel like sometimes he's yeah, the you know, it's always odd when you look back and you're like, mm, that was. I don't even know how that happened. But, um, yeah, no, I'd been working as a promoter in, in Cardiff, which is about an hour from Bristol um, in Wales. And most of the good bands used to only go to Bristol. Some used to go to Cardiff, but, you know, and I was booking in Cardiff and it was, I was trying to, I was learning, like a, fr a friend of mine in, in, in Bristol was helping me out because he ran a venue there and he was like showing me the ropes. Because actually I, I was hired as a PR person, but, the venues were like okay they stopped doing music and I was like how do you want me to promote when there's no music then they were like okay well and then I said well I can do shows and they're like yeah if you think you can then do it so I was like all right so then I learned how to do shows from um yeah this friend in Bristol and in exchange I used to do his graphic design like in the middle of the night whilst wrapping the shows um and uh he used to go out with a good friend of mine from journalism so I used to go visit them quite a lot and go to shows and things because um and um he was the only one that knew that I sort of sung a little bit or because I had really bad insomnia when I did this job mostly because actually I was mm. I was working until seven or six I know it wasn't that bad maybe five in the morning <laughs> or something but then I had to be at work at 10 again so I was like all right what what's going to happen in between I don't know um so uh so I had really bad insomnia I couldn't sleep so I used to just play guitar like I bought a 10 euro or 10 pound guitar and used to just play these weird uh, loop patterns as a way to calm my brain and write to it because I, I was going through so much at the time it was like my head was so confused um so I wrote stuff down and uh but I would never, I wasn't in a band, you know, I had friends in a band and they were like the band people. And I was just the one that was, you know, putting on the shows or something. And I once told right. lyrics to a friend of mine in a band and he, well, I said, Oh, I wrote this kind of poem type thing. You know, I think it's kind of a song. And, uh, and it was the officer officer. And I remember saying it to him and he was like, what is that? He's like, that's not a song. And then, uh, and then it made it onto the album. And that was funny. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so um, yeah, so no one really knew. And then I, I used to stay at their house. Uh, they used to get up really late because they just never, you know. And I, I was already awake at seven, so I just used to play their guitar that was in the lounge, and and I didn't know anyone heard, but they did. So he knew that I did this, and he was the one that gave my contact to Jeff saying I was some weird like German singer or something. I was like, what? <laughs> anyway, and so uh, so then I got a call from Jeff the day I quit my job, actually. It was very, like, the whole thing is hilarious. And he phoned me just before my meeting with the with the bosses. Um, and it was just this weird guy on the phone, like, saying, oh, hi, yeah, 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 Mick gave me your number. And I was like, yeah, I've got a meeting. Can I call you back later? You know, it's, didn't know who it was. <laughs> and uh, so after, after I quit my job, I was like, well, I might as well just phone this guy back because, you know, I was feeling a little bit low and I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? I just quit my job. It's a recession. What am I going to do? I was stupid. Anyway, but um, uh, so I called this guy back and he was trying to explain who this band was. And I was looking around on MySpace and he said something about Beep or Beak or something and I couldn't find them because they're so obtuse that they put a weird sign in their name. So I found like yeah. the, the New Zealand Beak. There was another one. Some, I, I didn't find them. So, um, but he was like, oh, if you're ever in Bristol, um, give me a call or like send me a text and, and uh, come to the studio or like come by the studio. And I was like, yeah, I've got nothing really to do in a, in a few weeks because I just quit my job. 
So I went to I went to Bristol and he picked me up from the station in his like he at the time he had this really rubbish uh, space wagon that was like, you know, sort of a mum's space wagon. Like when I knew Jeff, he always had the worst cars, <laughs> like just the <laughs> biggest pieces of like trash. Uh, and he so he turned up in like this this like mum's space wagon type thing and was like oh yeah you know I used to have uh, I think he he only passed his test quite late I think anyway so we went to the studio and we were, we were just talking about the music industry and I was really mad at my bosses and at the the industry and I was like oh I'm put, put on good shows and no one comes and then I booked the same shitty DJ every Saturday and it fills the house and and the bosses wouldn't give me a pay rise and. I hate the world and and he was like yeah same here and then we got you know and then we made an album uh, by mistake (laughs) um but and I remember seeing the Brit Awards in the studio because the studio was like a it was like a garage in the middle of a parking council estate whatever and um with just an Iceland which is just like a really bad supermarket where it just has frozen stuff and um and this was so, you know, it wasn't like a fancy place. So I turned up yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, it's all right. I trust him because it's Mig's friend. And um, and it was just a bunch of bearded guys and they're like, oh, oh, do you want a cup of tea? You know, and, and they was like, oh, okay. Uh, and and I saw a Brit Award on the side, but I obviously thought it was a fake one because I was like, oh, I didn't care with that. <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, and I'd, yeah, it, it was only a lot later that I finally found... I think it was, yeah, my friend, like a few, a few weeks later was like, oh, you know, it's Jeff from Portishead, Ryan. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. But I think that was why it worked, you know, because I really didn't, I didn't want to be yeah. a singer and I didn't really want to, I just had nothing to do. You know, I was just unemployed and was like, and angry at the industry. And here's someone that I can bitch to about that. And it's something to do and there's tea, you know, that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that was that was enough to sort of start everything in motion. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they were cool guys, you know, and it was just nice to, um, yeah, like uh, it was just a you know yeah it was just a nice bunch of people and um, and we with the songs you know we we just uh, used to hang out just drinking tea and 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 on YouTube looking for different songs and then you know we'd go away in the evening just looking through stuff and and bring in songs that and say like oh look what I found you know go down the YouTube rabbit hole and and um, and then then we'd print out the lyrics and and try and then that would be it. So well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're you're in the process of of putting a band together. Um, have you already started, you know, rehearsals or anything like that? And and how has it felt to? How do you envision these songs from Change sort of presenting live? Uh, yeah, we start rehearsals next week. So um, oh, actually, wait, no, what is it? Oh yeah, yeah, next week. Yep. So. Um, uh and originally I wrote this album thinking that I wouldn't get a chance to play it live so I wrote it in a very different way and I thought it would be a record that would be good on headphones that was kind of my idea but I think yeah you know I think it would be a cool album to play live but I never I never really thought of that so it's a little bit complicated because there's quite a few keyboards for example so I need I need a keyboard player with about uh 10 hands but um <laughs> apart from that uh um no i think it'll be good and, and this time it's a girl band i I've, I've put together a girl band because i've um i wanted to change you know to to drop the yeah. album again um and and i think it was important you know i think somehow um yeah i wanted to stand behind what i say you know and and um and i thought why not and and I found some extremely great musicians and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. It's quite a new experience. So I don't know. Well, well, I can't, we I can't wait to hear how, how these songs take shape live. And, uh, and like I said, I've, I've enjoyed listening to this record so much and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to explain it to, to me and speak with me about it. It's, it's a, it's a real, a real treat. Thank you for, for doing so. Yeah, no, thanks for the interview as well. It's good to talk. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll speak again some other time. And in the meantime, uh, stay safe and uh, enjoy enjoy uh, playing these songs live. 
Yeah, thanks. Yeah, hopefully uh, next year I'll make it to the States. Um, that is the plan. So uh, we see. Uh, so Canada and the US, fingers crossed. Well, fingers crossed, fingers <laughs> crossed, everything's going to stay safe enough for everybody to, to do this. I know I miss shows, that's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Same. I miss playing shows. Yeah. Well, Annika, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, and like I said, this record's great. Uh, the videos are great. The just the whole the whole presentation. It's really fantastic. And uh, it's been a real treat uh, digging in with you. Thank you. Nice one. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good one. Speak soon. In the same way, we could have changed it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls make visuals for the show. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, AD founder and main man. He's on the air every Wednesday night. Tune into Sirius XMU at 7 p.m. California time for the Aquarium Drunkard Show. If you dig transmissions, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to support our project even more, you can find us on Patreon. We'll be back next Wednesday with another strange talk for our strange times, joined by bassist Melvin Gibbs. It's a great talk. I hope you'll tune in. Until then, this has been Transmissions. Transmissions.